You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. See this widow? She's given more than all the others because they gave out of their wealth. She gave out of her poverty. You talk about giving by faith. God loves it. He loves it. When people will respond in faith, even in difficult times, even in desperate situations, because then, then, (laughs) then he's able to do the miraculous. God is not concerned with how much you give from a monetary standpoint. He is concerned with how much you're giving from faith. Today, Pastor Danny teaches you that Jesus wants you to live a life of faith. He doesn't want you to play it safe, but instead wants you to hear His will for you and to trust that if you pursue it with all your might, that He'll come through for you. This may mean going against what you've been taught is normal, and it will require abundant faith, but it'll place you right where you belong. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 8 as he begins his message, Giving When It Doesn't Make Sense. Corinthians chapter 8, and I know today we have some new people, and so I'll say very quickly what I say every weekend, uh, because we never know when new people are online or new people with us here. We have a church Bible reading plan. Right now, we're reading, reading through parts of the New Testament. We're in 2 Corinthians right now, and what we're doing right now in our ministry is pulling a section from our weekly reading and teaching on that. So 2 Corinthians is where we are. Yesterday's reading was chapter 8. Today's reading, which I'm sure you did this morning before you came to church, was chapter 9. That's where the Lord led me. Not a Father's Day message, but it's the Word of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches out of the most severe trial. Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. Now, before we read on, let me tell you what he's talking about. The Apostle Paul writing this, churches he had planted, churches he goes back and ministers to, He's accepting offerings over and above what they would regularly give for their local congregation because a famine is hit back in Judea, in the land of Israel. Difficult days because of the famine. And people in the church were hurting. And so the Apostle Paul, moved by the Lord, was accepting offerings from all these different churches and taking the offerings, 
back to the church in Jerusalem to help the poor saints because of the difficult days they were experiencing. That's what he's talking about here. Verse 5, and these Macedonian Christians, they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with his will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring it completion, completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. He takes the opportunity, especially with the, the example of the Macedonian Christians, to encourage, exhort the church to not miss the blessing in the grace of giving. Met with a church member recently. Uh, they wanted to catch up, and uh, in our conversation, they had some concerns. It was good concerns, but one, one was that a few weeks ago, we did a tutorial. We put it online. We also included it in our normal video announcements, which we didn't have any to show today, but it was a tutorial on how to give to the Lord through the church online, and there was a little concern because we're showing this and we're doing it in the midst of this COVID-19 crisis, people losing their jobs, people hurting financially, and it appeared on the surface that we were just taking advantage and trying to get people to give to the church. I want you to know, never done that, don't intend ever to do that. I explained some of the reasons that I didn't share publicly about that tutorial. People weren't able to come physically to the church. A lot of people like to give financially, physically in the little boxes that we have. That's just the way they do it. Even in the day of increasing online giving, which I finally succumbed, I'm an online giver. And I used to be big on, no, you need to physically come and bring it to the Lord, you know, and I'm like, I got over that. And I still honor the Lord, but I do it online. But we had some people that were trying to give online because they couldn't come physically to the church building, and guess what? They were making mistakes. One, for example, we got six long messages from this sweet old lady, and she tried to set up an account and make it recurring online giving, and she ended up setting up four accounts, unbeknown to her, taking the same amount out, which for us generally was a very small amount, but for her was a big deal. And she was headed into deficit. And so we were trying to help people to know how to do it. Also, I got a personal request from the church treasurer. Would you do a tutorial on online giving because one of the ways you can protect the volunteers that count the Lord's offerings after the last service over in the church office every weekend is to have them, especially during COVID-19, give online, and then our people would have to handle less contaminated money, and money is one of the dirtiest things. It gets passed around to all kinds of people. You never know who's touched it. And so he requested for us to do a tutorial on online giving. Now, am I saying those things to defend the decision we made? I've been pastoring a long time. It's easy to offend people. But in my mind, I went back to the legitimate concern, but I gave them the other side of the story in the more detail, and they said, well, maybe you should share more detail more often. 
Well, I understand that, but you can't do it all the time. But then when the Lord led me to this text, and he didn't lead me to this text because of that meeting. He led me to this text because he led me to this text. But as I was studying chapters 8 and 9, and they're all about giving. The biggest part of 2 Corinthians is about giving. And I put in my notes as I was studying it, and I highlighted it. And here's what I said. Why would we not want to teach on giving during a financial crisis? And if you'll keep your ears open and your heart open, you'll understand why by the time I'm done. Why would we not want to teach on giving during a financial crisis? Again, I'm sure you've already done your reading for this morning, so you already read 2 Corinthians 9. And in response to the example of the Macedonian Christians who gave out of extreme poverty, beyond their ability, and then you get to chapter 9. Verse 6, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Little note, God, his value system is based on what we have, not on what we don't have. So someone that could give a little by God's evaluation is actually giving a lot if they don't have much. Verse 7, each man should give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Now, the Baptist church that I came from, man, they preached sometimes on giving, and you thought if you didn't give, you're going to hell. God doesn't want us to give out of compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you'll abound in every good work. As it's written, he scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. And then you got to love verse 10. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be made rich, get this, get this, rich in every way, spiritually and materially. So you can buy a bigger house and a nicer car and a bigger boat. You'll be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. doesn't mean you can't buy a nicer car, but don't ever lose the priority. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. I don't know who said it first. I don't know who coined it. But in the Christian church, it's become kind of a phrase that people will say. You know what it is? Here's what they say. You can't outgive God. That is absolutely true. Absolutely biblical. It's impossible to outgive God. Here's what Jesus said. Uh, you want to say this with me? We'll do it anyway. Here we go. Ready? Come on. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, here's what's happened to me. I can't shake it. I can't get away from it. Every time I get to this verse, I think about potato chips. I can't help it. Because I think about opening a potato chip bag, and I love potato chips, and yet there's never enough potato chips in the bag for what I, I think we get gypped, okay? But what happens in the plant, when that bag's going through, and the machine is putting the amount of potato chips in there, and it puts the exact same amount of weight in every one, I mean, they got that thing, they got that thing worked out where everyone's getting the same amount. And what happens is, it gets shaken, it gets shaken, and all of a sudden, you get just 
what I consider a very small amount of chips for the size bag that they're putting it in. These are the words of Jesus. And he says, when we give unto the Lord, when we give unto the Lord, here's what God does in return. When he gives back, press down, shake it up, get a little more in there, fill it up, and then overflow. I sound like Joel Osteen, don't I? Well, let me tell you something on this one. They got something that we need to listen to because this is what God says. You can't outgive God. It's impossible. Not only in Scripture is there an example here of the Macedonian churches, 2 Corinthians. Let me take you back to the Old Testament because here's what you'll find. When you study these examples in Scripture, you'll find that God wants us to sometimes give when it doesn't make sense. As a matter of fact, he delights in situations where for somebody to give in response to the word of God when it doesn't make sense, and yet they're doing it by faith, he loves that because then God is able to do the miraculous, and that's what he loves doing. It's one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament, 1 Kings chapter 17. You ought to read these stories. You ought to read them to your kids. Fathers, you ought to read these stories to your kids. They're great stories. 1 Kings chapter 17, let me set it up. There's a famine in the land of Israel. The famine is sent by God because the people have gone into idolatry and sinful ways and God's trying to get their attention, which is exactly what he's trying to do with the world in COVID-19, trying to get people's attention. Elijah the prophet prays. He's God's man. He's God's voice. He prays that it wouldn't rain. It doesn't rain for three and a half years. God is providing for the prophet because the prophet is suffering just like everybody else because of the famine. God leads him by this brook. He's drinking at the brook. God's sending ravens with food every day, so he's getting food every day from these birds, but the famine gets worse. Chapter 17, verse 7, sometime later the brook dried up. And now God's got to give him some new instruction for provision because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. It's outside of the land of Israel. Odd. I've commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. When I've taught on this before, I don't ever recall pointing out something I knew but have never pointed out that God spoke to this widow ahead of time. God is preparing her heart for what he wants to do in her life and through her for the prophet. So he went to Zarephath. And when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may have a drink? And as she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I'm going gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat and die. She's desperate. She's destitute. You talk about a financial and an economic crisis. She thinks I'm going to make the last meal for me and my son and we're going to die. And Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first, make a small cake of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. Pause. Always have to point out on the surface, that sounds 
selfish of the prophet. Not at all. It's God's will. He's already moved in her heart, and now he confirms what he wants to do in and through her life through the man of God as he shares the word of God. The only question is, will she respond to the word by faith? For this is what the Lord, verse 14, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. Don't miss that. In other words, God's not going to just meet you one time in your immediate need. He's going to meet your need if you'll respond in faith. He's going to meet your need until the crisis ends, until he sends rain on the land. For three and a half years, there was no rain on the land. Three and a half years. And God promised her, if you'll trust me and if you'll respond in faith, I'll take care of you and I'll do it until the crisis is over. Woo! I love that, man. And I love what happens. Verse 15, she went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day. Get this, for Elijah, God provided for the ministry and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord by Elijah. Man, I love this book. I love the stories. There's not just that one. You go to the New Testament. In Luke chapter 21, won't turn to it. A lot of you may know it. It's called the widow who gave her last mite. Jesus is watching people come to the church, the temple, put their offerings in. People were giving great amounts out of their wealth. Then this widow comes by, and she gives all she has. Her last might, it says, two little coins. And Jesus takes the opportunity, turned to his disciples, and you said, you see, these people giving, you see this widow? She's given more than all the others because they gave out of their wealth, but she gave out of her poverty. You talk about giving by faith. God loves it. He loves it. When people will respond in faith, even in difficult times, even in desperate situations, because then, then, (laughs) then he's able to do the miraculous. Now, let me flip the coin real quick for a minute. Because the Bible points out that there is an irony. When you look at these stories, you have to conclude, and here's what I put in my notes. Sometimes the best thing one can do in a financial crisis is give. Now, it doesn't make sense to the common logic, but it makes sense from heaven's logic. Now, when you flip the coin, here's what you find in the Bible. The irony there is when you don't give, when you don't continue to have a heart of giving and honor the Lord in giving in difficult times. Let me take you back to the Old Testament again. It may be a hard book for those not familiar with the Bible to find, but it's right near the end of the Old Testament. It's just before that last book, last two books, Zechariah and Malachi. So back up to the left of Zechariah to a little two-chapter book right after Zephaniah, and it's the book of the prophet 
Haggai. When God sends the prophet Haggai to minister, again, difficult days. And the people wrongly concluded that their priorities needed to change because of the difficulties they were facing. Haggai comes and speaks a word to them. Verse 2, this is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You planted much, but you've harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. You go, where did my money go? What happened? Verse 7, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains, bring down timber, and build the house. Get your priorities right. So that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, and now he takes responsibility for your money disappearing. I blew it away. God, why'd you do that? Because your priorities are wrong. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with his own house. Your priorities are backwards. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and all these things, all these things will be added unto you as well. Put God first. And they had misplaced their priorities. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld the dew and the earth its crops. Now, this little two-chapter book, (laughs) one of the few times that God sends a prophet and the people listen. If you know the book of Haggai, when he gives this word that the priorities were skewed, they go, you're right. We're going to get right with God. We're going to get our priorities back. The kingdom first and our own needs second. They respond. And then when you get to the last chapter, verse 15, look at this. Now give careful thought to you. From this day on, consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. In other words, you got your priorities back. When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When anyone went to a vine vat to draw 50 measures, there was only 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. From this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, when you got your priorities right. For some of us, you can mark this day down. June 21st, 2020, give careful thought. Is there any, yet any seed left in the barn until now? The vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate, the olive tree have not borne fruit from this day on, from the time you got your priorities right. I will bless you. And that's what God wants to do. The proverb talks about this irony as well. It says, one man gives freely yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but he comes to poverty. It's amazing how it works. Now, at this point, I only have a few minutes left, and I know most of you are thankful for that, but you're going to love this slick outline. Here's my last point. Here's my last point. You ready? Everything else I can say about giving in the time I have left. Isn't that a slick third point? God wants to bless us. I don't know where he said it. I can't find it recorded in the Gospels, but evidently Jesus said at some point, it's more blessed to give than to receive, and the Apostle Paul notes that in Acts chapter 20 that Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. And here's how I want to begin to bring it to a close. And we've got just a few minutes left. I did some research. Here's what I found. 
Did you know there are generational attitudes toward giving? Thanks for joining us today on The Living Word. In this series called New Testament Highlights, Pastor Danny has been unpacking how time and time again, the truth of God's Word shines brightly into a dark world. The New Testament highlights that Jesus' life and ministry was a shining light into the Roman-oppressed nation of Israel. In addition, the bright testimony of the apostles amidst opposition proved that there are always opportunities to be light in a dark world. Are you sinking into despair about the heaviness that surrounds you with the events and circumstances that seem to get worse? You might wonder if there's any end in sight. Well, keep your chin up and keep your eyes fixed on the promises of God. He'll never leave you, and that can be a shining beacon of hope. We trust that this teaching has given you a renewed sense of what to live for and what's to come, as you're reminded of other people who are great examples of living out their faith. If you'd like to hear this message again, you'll find it at ccfstpete.church. Just look under the Resources tab and click on Teachings. You can also connect with us through social media. Look for links to Facebook, Instagram, or subscribe to our YouTube channel. You'll be able to stay up to date on the latest things happening and know when new videos are uploaded. That's all we have for today. Thanks for tuning in to The Living Word.